When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1031. Come on out to Irvine, the Irvine Improv I'm doing stand-up November 15 and 16, that's a Friday and Saturday, and then uh, December 12, 13, 14 in Tacoma, Washington at the Tacoma Comedy Club, and um, I have a tour next year, a bunch of dates, so I'll uh, be announcing that very soon. If you go to id10t.com tour, that will give you those dates, or you can just Google those respective clubs if you feel like it. Come on, it'd be nice to see you. Come on out. Um, let's talk about what you're doing, though. In the ID10T community, uh, events at ID10T.com, like Ken, who writes, I created a stained glass artwork for you, uh, Chris, that I sent a while back. The Enjoy Your Burrito piece with you and Reggie Watts. Oh, yes, thank you, Ken. Uh, he goes on to say, my father-in-law and mentor taught me how to do it and supplied the material and shipping. He is far more talented than I, and I'd like to plug some of his current work. Scott Outerkirk is celebrated, a celebrated stained glass artist who is doing a lot of really creative and diverse stuff. Your listeners should check out his YouTube series about building and restoring old wooden boats on the St. Lawrence River called The Wooden Boat Experience. That sounds awesome. He also created various handcrafted goods. He sells through his uh, shop Glass Goat on Etsy. His daughter also makes and sells awesome soy candles through Glass Goat Soy Candles on Etsy as well. I recommend every check out Scott. Everyone check out Scott Outerkirk's beautiful stained glass works like The Queen and consider supporting his other work if it strikes their fancy. Ken, thank you so much for the piece uh, that you made for me. And I will definitely check out Scott's work, especially the boat stuff. That sounds, oh my God, restoring a, an old wooden boat. Oh God. I love it. I'm a, I'm, I, I can almost, I'm just going to, I'm going to finish recording this. I'm going to jump right onto that. And then I'm going to get obsessed with restor- restoring wooden boats, I'm sure, which is something I never knew I wanted until I just read that sentence. This episode is David Boreanaz, who is promoting not only season three of SEAL Team, Wednesday nights at nine on CBS, but also the 20th anniversary of Angel, which is a show that if you listen to this podcast, you are probably somewhat familiar with. All available uh, episodes are on Hulu. And, uh, oh, he was great. I knew it. I knew he was going to be a nice dude because he has worked so much in the last 22, three years. And uh, as I say in the podcast, it's not an accident. Usually when someone works job after job, a hit show after hit show, there's an element of uh, they're probably a nice dude. And uh, he was. So this is a very, very, very fun episode. And uh, I hope you enjoy the ID10T podcast number 1031 with Mr. David Boreanaz. And let us begin the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol.
old-timey microphones. Check. I hope it's not embarrassing that I'm wearing a Sunnydale shirt. I thought with the anniversary <laughs> yeah. uh, coming up that it may... It's already had it. It man. did have it. We happened. That, yeah, the anniversary went down and happened, and it was a... It's always a experience that's for sure i didn't get a chance to uh i'm lost in your wallpaper <laughs> as i kind of sit here and talk about the angel's 20th anniversary my wife's my wife's the wallpaper maven. good choice like she's the one stuff that puts everything up ready she's to go the one that finds all the wallpapers yeah and so i i tend to like she's good with furniture but furniture is really my yeah. specialty mm-hmm. and her specialty is uh, colors, wallpaper, drapery, fabric. Mm. Like she just finds all these yeah. extinct, seemingly extinct fabrics and wallpapers. It looks cool. I like it. What style is your house? Well, we don't. We're just we're actually redoing our home right now. So we're completely doing a major teardown. The whole property is going to be leveled. Are you? Li- oh, so okay. So you're so not living in. We're it. no. We're not living in there. I wanted to. I wanted to live in. You know, an airstream down at the bottom. But my wife's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that would not happen. Sean I would style. easily could have done it. You know, it's easy for, for men to be like, yeah, I'll live in an Airstream or wherever. And then the wife is usually like, no, I need a closet. And I need, like, you know, a facility that's a bathroom <laughs> with at least, you know, running water that doesn't stop. And it hot sounds shower. more charming it, to, it do, really to do the Airstream than it actually is. I think day to day. Oh, God. <laughs> if I go to a hotel. Let's just go that's to a hotel. true, man. Yeah. So we're uh, in the midst of doing that. So we rented a, a, a place, which is cool because it's, it's like this – Circa 1987 place that oh, we rented nice. in, so it's all like it's intact. So you kind of feel like you're going back to just back into the 87 era with like an old movie or something. It's it's just has that whole kind of vibe going on. So. You see, there's probably 1987 Los Angeles. So probably just, just like bricks of cocaine in the walls. Said it was completely <laughs> b- bananas. There are a lot. There is a brick. <laughs> piece that's in the bathroom that makes me wonder <laughs> should, should we like knock some of it down yeah, and something see what's trying to hide something in it's the, got in like the old wood banister it's got the old thermidor ovens oh, and nice. like you know like the, the older ones when it first came out and the, the refrigerator is still kicking and it's great because it just makes things really cold so i like nice. cold cold milk and things that are cold cold beer it can't be like cold it's gonna be cold cold on the verge of like that frost mm-hmm. so it just has a little bit of kind of tip of a slush on the top almost a solid yes but not quite crisp <laughs> very crisp <laughs> so we're so we're kind of like living this uh we're in the midst of moving right now and that's always difficult when you're moving from one point to the other and you you, you get rid of stuff and you purge and you give things away and then you also see boxes that you haven't opened up, and pictures always get you. So you always go back in time. I've just gone through so many different pictures of my past. It's it's like it's crazy, emotional, hilarious, you know, funny, and you like people you haven't seen in a long time. And it's I, I ran across this one box, and it was like nineteen Polaroids or twenty of them of me and Glenn Quinn just like buy a pint, just drinking Guinness and hanging out and. For those who don't know Glenn Quinn, he played Doyle on Angel, who was a really dear friend of mine and ended up, you know, dying and uh, of a bad heroin overdose. But great friend of mine still, you know, he's uh, someone I can't really kind of let go in my life. Sure. Interesting. So, but I saw that and you know, like, when you're moving, you see these pictures and these things and you're kind of like, wow, this, it just kind of hits you, you know, you kind of, 
you you remember all those times that you had, and when you're when you're there, you don't think about how time goes by so fast. No, it, no, it especially when you're flies. young. Yeah, 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 especially when you're young, because you, you just fun. feel like, oh, this is hey, yeah, <laughs> forever. But having a physical, there really is something having a tactile, yeah. experience rather than. I mean, I you know my my iCloud photo thing has literally 75,000 pictures in it. Whoa. And they just go back, like, from the first iteration of the iPhone. And it's very rare. Very rare do I go back. And But to when you go through a box and you find an old picture, it was like a... A, a milestone of that time yeah. period. There's just something. It just. It just. Maybe it's just an old thing, old person thing to say, but it just feels like it means more and has more value when you can hold it. Of course, and when it, when you're looking at pictures of people that are no longer in your life or pictures that, have, that you'll never see again, and you just kind of relive that experience. Sure, and that moment is. It's just overwhelming sometimes, and on top of the moving, it's you know when you move, it's <laughs> how many fights do you get into when you move with your better half? Don't keep this, keep oh, this, don't this keep that. A... You're annoying me. Get away, get out. I, what, where are we going with this? This box? is my pile. Don't just touch get rid my of pile. It. Don't touch my pile. Okay, you go over there. I'll go over here. You've annoyed me ninety <laughs> times. I literally just went through this. You seriously are like, okay, you've been divorced. You're back together again. You're divorced. You're back together again. Okay, we're fine. Now we're on a honeymoon. It's like you experience all everything. Death, divorce, it is, it's all up a there. Mo- moving the entire relationship. It's everything. <laughs> all in one. Well, my, my office was stacked full of stuff that I was going to move. And it just ended up – my office at home just ended up looking like a, like a hoarder's closet. Yeah. And so my wife kept going – you know, I could just go in there and go, and I'm like, no, 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 don't touch my stuff. And she was like, no, but you really need me to help you. And I go, no, I don't. And then in the end, of course, I did need her to help me. Yep. But it, you really do need someone to help you make some of those harder decisions. Because obviously, you know, you want to keep Polaroids of a friend yeah, that or... you've lost. But like, oh, this coaster came from this really no, special... No, but it has meaning. <laughs> Because there's stuff written on the coaster. I have, like, cocktail napkins and bar napkins of my friends and I of writing scripts and movie lines. And, like, I have a box of them. Like, I'm not, it's not going anywhere. It's just, like, it didn't really make much sense. But at the time, it was great. So, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Ashtrays. And, like, I, I collect old ashtrays from hotels around the world. I have so many really cool ones. And, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, mugs and pine glasses and... You know, I think we have a similar love for antiques. Looking around this place is pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, what what was the hardest thing you actually got rid of? Oh my god, that's tough. It's still happening. You know, <laughs> I have shoes. I have a lot of shoes, but they're in suits, like older suits that I want to pass on to my son and let him have. Because I remember when I was growing, I was like, my grandfather, who I stayed a lot, spent a lot of time with in Buffalo, New York. You know, lived in that was where my dad grew up. It was an older house, and I'd go up in the attic and look at all my grandfather's suits and be like, "This is great," you know. So maybe that kind of leaked into me, and so I like suits and older shoes, and I still hold on to like the, the, the these great double breasted suits from you know the late '80s, and I'm like, "Well, I really want to hold on to these because they're just time." I've worn them, and I want my son to kind of look at them because I don't want to just throw them away. So. I'm, I'm still holding on to them. They don't fit me, but <laughs> shoes, suits, ties, old like ties, yep. uh, you know, all old vintage clothing, leather jackets. Jeez, forget it. I have. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> me, I have tons of leather jackets. I was going through uh, the closet today. I think I have Angel's original leather coat. And I was like, and I had two of them that. in my hand. I got to keep that, right? I was like, well, which one is it? Is it the, this one or that one? And I think it was a Hugo Boss that wasn't that was the make who made it. But uh, yeah, that was the original one. I'm like, 
we can't get rid of that. That's like there's like fake blood stains on oh the my inside God, collar. That, that's, <laughs> that's a that's a diary of that period of time. That's oh. about. I mean, someday, you know, a hundred years from now, that you like you could. That could be in an that would go for like never know. Yeah, you never know. That could go or for could, like twenty grand, or you could just kind of donate it right to a museum. To not even to a museum, it's like, like let it go. Yeah. So then somebody would pick it up and not even know that they're wearing that code. Oh, they should kind of cool, because they'll be like, right? oh, there's like blood on here. I gotta scrape no, this off. Yeah, right. Or you yeah. put like a little note on the inside, and then you donate it, and whoever yeah. buys it reads this note. Like, whoa, that's kind of that's an authentic piece I just found. Well, I think you know, I, I think with old. Perhaps like a, a fun thing to do at some point if 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 someone could you know part with something maybe there's something to part with is just like you know have an auction for charity because yeah. then you raise a bunch of money right. and then someone that really wants it yeah. gets it yeah. and then so and then it and then you don't have to ha- deal with it anymore and you and then everyone kind of wins that to me it's is true. a way where but when you have your ki- when you have kids though you want to pass it on to them so then if they're blessed to have children then you know it's kind of stays within the family yeah it's my dad's vampire jacket but i had yeah don't give that up <laughs> but i got a pinball machine that i it was james garner's oh. pinball machine and it was made for him from the movie Maverick, and I know his his daughter very well, and she's like, "Oh, I got a bunch of stuff," and I said, "Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the pinball machine." So I purchased that from her, and that is just a hard thing to move around. It's not easy; you can't just sure. like move a pinball machine no. around. That thing takes at least six people to yeah. navigate that thing. But um, that's a cool piece that I have. That's um, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's, it wasn't ever used, so it was made in his honor for the movie for Maverick, and it's just kind of you know. Yeah, basically, we just turn into Steve Martin at the end of the jerk. Like, right, I don't man. need one of. I need this. I just want that. I just, <laughs> that's all I want. All I need is the the vampire jacket and the <laughs> pinball machine. And that good luck trying to drag the. <laughs> pinball machine i think the jacket would be fine but it would take a lot of people to move that thing we do we have pinball machines too and and they're fun but uh but i find that you play them a lot for like the first couple weeks it's like bowling yes. you get bored after the sixth frame yeah or like having a pool table oh it'd be so fun to have a pool table no. then you play for like a month and then it just collects dust bumper pool's cool remember bumper, bumper pool of course that i remember bumper pool one. that was actually kind of a cooler you gotta get thing. in that little tiny hole you at all the end. at the thir- right same time bam you'd hit it off yes. the corner and see who got it in close and then you could just hit if you were on a roll you would just hit all the balls in that bumper was actually pool's a, cool. that was a good that's a lot better because it's smaller. It's yeah. not as big. doesn't take up as much space. Yeah. I think I'm going to get a bumper pool now. <laughs> that knowing I have this one space in the rent, I'm thinking this is a good spot for the bumper pool. Honey, I know you made me get rid of a lot of stuff, but you may, you, yeah. we now have enough room for a bumper pool. And I took the bar that I made because you got you can't leave a bar behind. No. You don't want a bar to be destroyed. Sure. And I, so that was that was huge. And they got it. I couldn't believe it. I, I asked my friend Roberto to do it. And he got like six, seven guys in there like just did it. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, from the wall and they just were pushing it through like the the small little space and areas and then they got to the rental and they're going through the bushes and it's like well we're almost there and it's just, just <laughs> juniper flying all over the place it smells like thanksgiving it's crazy three things that i've tried to explain to millennials to know to little to no success was one was bumper pool this these are these are things that <laughs> are everyone th- things that everyone had in the 70s Bumper pool tables, yeah. pachinko machines, yes, and I try to explain organ stores. Like oh, okay, every yeah. mall had an organ That's store. Right, they did, and all the people who worked there could play. And so you'd walk into a mall and you'd hear, and then there would be like these. 
tiered because we we went There'd to be tiers of them. Tiers of them yeah. because we went to the um, Maleficent premiere at the El Capitan, and then they have an organ player. Of course, yeah. Who comes out? My wife's like, "Oh, that thing's crazy," uh-huh. and I go, "You know, my wife's my wife's in her thirties," and I go, "Oh, well." Every mall had one of these, and she's like, what? And I go, yeah, they had these organ stores. Everyone had a fucking organ yeah. with all these switches and all these crazy. And I'm like, but now that your phone can do that, it's mm-hmm. a little less exciting. And then it was in the mall. Then you went next door to Hickory Farms, and you got the, <laughs> you got the sausage with the an orange, mustard. Orange Julius. Yes. And, it, and you, the carpet stores that were rolled up. And as a kid, you'd climb on them, and your mom would be like, I mean, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so I, I saw a lot of those those stores. But yeah, the organ was huge. But for me, this, it's like, yeah. remember? It's hockey, so it's the sound thing. of the oh, it's it's the sound of the organ store, the smell oh, of the Hickory nice. Farms, the taste of the Orange <laughs> Julius. That to me, those are the real like those bring out the mall and experience. the T-shirt, the champion T-shirts with the decals. Oh, the vinyl, like yes. the smell of the vinyl. Of where you pick out like, oh yeah, I like hot rod cars. I'll get a shiny hot rod right, decal, man. and oh, then my. you'd see it be burned on the, and then you'd be like, this is awesome. You get it on like two days later, it's bubbling and peeling. Oh my <laughs> god, like, listen, I got a sunburn. It's peeling, like, David. I just I. I I have not known you very long, but I think we should pull some of our TV money and open a 70s mall. I think that would be good, man. That's a good idea. There's a lot of there's a lot of property out in Westlake that needs to be uh, used up right now. I think that'd be fun to just build a small community. I wonder, I wonder if that's going to happen oh at some God. point where people who... It's sort of like the plot of The Village, that M. Night Shyamalan movie, where they Mm -hmm. moved out to be away from technology. (laughs) But rather than moving into, like, you know, pilgrim times, we move into... Just pick an era like the seventies where we have some technology. Yes, but, but not, not much. much of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have and enough it's... to cook and eat and have plumbing. Sure. We have in television you can play. <laughs> you can have all those things. You know. Remember Dragon Dragon's Lair, of which course. was the arcade game of everything. Absolutely. That was I just put so many quarters in that machine. Yep. That and Donkey Kong was the yep. best. I mean that Well those Dragon's Lair, I have some original yes. cells from the animation of Dragon's Gee, Lair. Really? Yeah, it was done by a guy named Don Bluth, and it was like an original. Like that's when they first started screwing around with yeah. laser technology. Laser okay, technology. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, my Don- friend was here last year at a hotel somewhere, and they actually, it was, I think it was in Mexico, and they had the arcade Dragon's Lair in the lobby. Oh my gosh! I, that I, I kid you not, and awesome. it was there. And it's like he's like, is this the, the game we used to play when we were kids in Buffalo, New York, at the mall? And like, yes, it's it. And there was like, you had the one, two, three, two, one. Like you had the whole technique in order to get the lair, <laughs> yep. the sword, yep. ride the horse. That yep, was, that was big. That was my water I, slides too were big. I remember in I remember in sixth sixth or seventh grade we had to give a speech in class about something we were an expert at to teach mm-hmm. other kids. And Dragon's th- Lair. Yes, this should just give you an idea of how popular I was in school. <laughs> I gave my my speech was about how to beat Dragon's Lair, like cool. all the patterns, and so. Okay. There were only like three other nerds in the class. This is before the internet, and we could all pool our resources. But uh, like two or three other nerds in the class that had questions, like, "Oh, this one, the one board in the treasure room. Oh, well, that's up, down, left, right, you know." And so I would draw. <laughs> I love the, that you know the up, down. Oh yeah, yeah. Right so there. I would draw the diagram on the board, and uh, and needless to say, I was a, a, a terminally unpopular kid. But but that that and Space Ace were the yeah. two like uh, laser games. Did you play Dungeons and Dragons? Of course. See now that I, I I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, but when it first came out, like the kid up the street had it, and they're like, "You got to play this game." I'm like, "What is this it's called? Dungeons and Dragons?" And I'm like, "Wow, this has got to be kind of like a almost like the forefront of like Atari or or Pong." It's <laughs> of the mind. Amazing. I'm like, "Where is it?" It's like here. Like where we got to go? Like 
It's like these <laughs> dice and paper. I'm like, this is so boring. I'm sorry. I'm not doing I'm like expecting dragons to be moving around and like They're dragons of the mind. Was did not work for me, but it that has was very popular. It's 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 had a quite a resurgence now. It has. A yeah. lot of a lot of people yeah. are playing it now because I think also as a response to how isolating just playing a video game yep. alone can be, mm-hmm. you get a bunch of people in a room. They have to interact with each other, use their imagination, be resourceful. So yeah. it's, it, it actually has a resurgence now. I'm sure it does. As does everything in life. <laughs> there's there's no lack of originality. Uh, well, there is, but there is a big resurgence of television shows, movies. It's what's streaming, what's not. There's a lot going on. Well, I'm sure because I'm sure, right? especially with like. You know, I'm sure Joss always gets it up. When are you going to do a Firefly reboot? When are you going to do a Buffy reboot? When are you going to do an Angel reboot? You know, there's always a... (laughs) Not in this lifetime. (laughs) But this is what delights and fascinates me about you. You have been on television since 1997 without a break. Mm. And that's... Like, that's a fucking incredible achievement it's a lot of pain to go from buffy (laughs) to angel to bones to seal team like every season you have a hit show on and that's that should you should get an award for that like that Uh, doesn't happen i think the anatomy of a hit if if you want to call it a hit is just like maintaining your sensibility about the work and your your work effort is to me like the most important part of the whole journey and has been. I mean, I went to private school, high school, all boys, and it was like, me you too. know, Augustine and Priest. You work, you had to memorize stuff. You, growing up as a kid, my mom was like, you have to have a job to work the farmer's market. I worked every summer. It was so I created a work ethic that I translated into my work that I do today. And that just is for me, it's always been about work. Like I like to work. I love being around it. I love the people. I don't, I, I try, I try to always necessarily just focus on that and everything else. I don't like, I don't, I'm not a big person who's into the publicity market or going to red carpets or meeting this person or that person. You know, it's, it, it's exhausting. I tried that and it's very daunting and people don't even know really how to talk to people. It's a very odd situation, <laughs> but you know, to to the work, it's all about effort. I, I was listening to something today. Ivana Chubbick is like my 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 guru. I've been working with her for over twenty years, and she's my acting coach. And we work together on everything. And it's just again, her recipe is. It's one of the questions to her was, it says, "Do you like working with your students? Do you like working with the stars you've made?" And she's like, "Well, I've worked with, you know, students who have lived with, you know, eight people in a house, and it's like those people have broken house because certain people have work ethic. Is their ethic is constantly gearing towards making." choices that are risky right regardless if you succeed or fail you need to always make a choice that's risky and out there and put yourself out there and that's very scary for a lot of people no matter what business you're in i mean um well, not a surgeon you don't want to make a risky choice when you're <laughs> open heart or something uh, like that, cut that one that, ah, no no let's, let's just try it <laughs> no no it ain't gonna work real well so uh i mean that's i think to me overall is is really what it's about it's about the work and it's tough i mean it, television is a is a grueling pace i mean i work on seal team now and it's still 22 episodes that's like a lot why are we still doing that formula i mean i look at people are like hey i'm doing 13 episodes or eight here i'm on netflix and i'm like wow you can fucking swear <laughs> you have a fucking life you can read a book i'm still like 22 episodes we're shooting it in eight days we'll shoot it in seven days because we're so fast and meanwhile the crew's dying and everyone around is like this we can't wait to get the thanksgiving break right right right, right? just to get three days off absolutely it's like, it's like whoa so 
it's a it's been a journey and a, a blessing for one and i don't continue i just want to continue that and i don't plan on stopping anytime soon yeah but sure. all the but it's but you look at it and everything you've done i mean obviously mm-hmm. angel came out of buffy yeah. but bones was different than than yeah. angel and then seal team is different than bones yeah. and so you you've really done a good job because it would have been really easy i imagine to take another job that was like oh i should probably do some kind of fantasy yeah. or sci-fi thing because right. that and you you know you jumped and did a network mm-hmm. procedural yeah and it worked really well yeah. you know so it at the time, were you faced with some of those choices? Did you have a lot of options and you said, oh, this one really makes sense to me? Or how did that? I didn't really necessarily think that would be the, 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 the cure. I was like, oh, i got to make a choice that is necessarily different from what I'm doing. I necessarily was just – I live my life. I wake up and wherever my environment is, it kind of is dictating the character choices in my life since I play pretty much all the characters that infuses what's going on in my life, mm-hmm. my relationships or whatever. So – when Bones came along, it was it was kind of like a free kind of. I always think it was like when you end a job, it's or a long running series or carries like you know what it gives your sense of sense of freedom because you're you're very vulnerable and you're open to a lot of things and you see things a lot better and things just kind of fall into your lap and of course you sit there and you say well I I remember people saying well you should go for this role here and this this is a really cool role and. It's got a great cast. And I said, well, I like this other role that's kind of interesting called Bones. And, you know, we were the last pilot picked up when we shot it. And, you know, and they're like, well, this show's not going to go. It's silly. It's named Bones. I'm like, well, I kind of like the relationship and, like, the way the characters are talking to each other. It was very, like, romancing the stone yes. genre to me. And a lot of people didn't see that and I did and I before I just kind of went into that arena so for me it's like it's not a conscious choice I think sure. it's just something that happens sure and I I don't want to be too like ethereal about it but that's the way I, I am you know it just kind of happens not uh, well you oh have I'm to gonna also- go for this right? right and uh um you know it worked out and I'm glad it did and um you know we were very successful in that show and creating characters that worked opposite of the procedural i mean when we started that show emily and i worked with ivana for eight or nine episodes every weekend rewriting stuff and bringing it to the producers and changing things and and instituting things and at first they wanted like a drama they wanted like an x-files they want this mysterious thing i'm like it's not that it's not funny it's not you know quirky and it was great to see after we did, had successfully broken those barriers four or five seasons later, other procedurals were doing the same things and right. they wanted to like have conversations over bodies about like, you know, what did you eat last night and why am I feeling sick? And like <laughs> these things are all character related and, but it made sense. So we were proud that we were able to do that and see that. And, uh, you know, working with Emily was, uh, was a joy and just a great experience. She's just, she's phenomenal, and also uh, somebody who was uh, the two of us were able to really work with each other in the work environment and understand each other's moods. Like it's it was a long marriage, and uh, you know what? I'm not having such a great day today. I'm telling you that right now, up front. Right. Oh sure, Emily goes. Yeah, I understand. I respect that. I love you, man. But you know what? We'd still have that banter, and we'd still respect each other. We would never. We'd always be open with each other. We'd never um, hide things from each other. We're very. It, it just became a, a great match, and I was very fortunate to have that. So, um, but Bones was it was a great run, and um, 
regardless if it was a an unconscious decision, I think it was smart for for me at the time because you you do a show like Buffy and it's very cold oriented, and then you take the character and it gets spin off to its own series for five seasons. And I think Angel was a show that could have gone on a lot longer. I think that it ended a lot quicker. I think it was a different type of show. It was darker, obviously, more yeah. adult oriented themes. I mean guy a vampire living in los angeles saving souls it's so like hilarious <laughs> as you think about it i mean it was crazy the people that we had on it the characters are so great the puppet and episode puppet was everyone loves the puppet well of course it's puppets it's the best it's 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 a triumph it's a television <laughs> triumph like to, and that's that was the fun thing about both of those shows is that it was always looking for ways to have this fun subtextual conversation mm-hmm. with the audience of like we know what you're used to seeing and we want to play with that yeah and have fun we want to have fun with you the audience and show that right. we are willing to break the mold sometimes step out of it mm-hmm. and that and i think that was what you know buffy really kind of started this 1996 97 mm-hmm. started this era of um respecting that type of a cult audience you know and saying like hey if you were if you were to make a show this is the type of show you would want to make yes and that's what it felt like it was very much when we went to comic-con i think it was early on at 96 97 and it was just boxes of comics on the floor there was yeah. no huge marquee advertisements for movies it wasn't it was a pure comic book convention for yeah, right yeah. The people selling like real superman all right you know com everything it was just authentic and then now it's just kind of gravitated and it's you go there and everything's promoted sure like, it's it's crazy everything's like a big movie or a big production and there's lights and dance it's like what happened here well they like followed the wizard the of oz just blew up man i know but the entertainment industry followed the money because you know this sort of this sort of trend in nerd culture that mm-hmm. you know that Buffy was definitely one of the yeah. for, for the contemporary yeah. nerd movement planted a flag in the soil and said this is a real audience and it's mm-hmm. not just niche and it's not just a bunch of that stereotypical they live in their mom's basement you know <laughs> playing D and D hey maybe maybe I live in the basement of my house and I let my mom live upstairs okay. you ever think of that all right <laughs> so uh, but in any case it. When they started realizing, like, there's a real audience here, then all the entertainment companies... Of course. You know, because then around 2000, 2001, you have Spider-Man, X-Men, mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, so, yeah, so it all blew up. But Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. It does go back to what you were talking about before, about that PR dance. Yep. Which... You're right. And I think I've always – I was saying that to my wife this morning that I've, I've always respected that it seems like you chose to not be a part of that because mm-hmm. that also – you get attention based on how, you know, how much they perceive you as being yeah. – it's like – and that's very fluid. You have no control over that and no. it, then you're just a commodity and that yeah. feels – that could really fuck with your head. Yeah, because you're trying to control it. Absolutely. And then when you try to control it, then it just 
it's, there's it goes crazy. It's messy. Yeah, you're walking with your shoes on backwards. Right, you think you're you're you just create this own world inside your head. That's like this fantasy world, and it's not real. Right, it just becomes your own <laughs> dragon's lair, so to speak. <laughs> Nicely done. It really does. Well, well played. You know, when Buffy started out, and we were fortunate to get, I got on that show. I was like, I was a reoccurring character the first thirteen episodes, and then I. It just worked. the The character of Angel and Buffy, and it was a love story, and it took off. It was a very big, impactful moment for that show, and it just catapulted that love story even further up. And then yep. I'm like, "Hey, they want some more episodes." I'm like, "Sure." I'm like, "I ain't doing anything." So <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I was living in Los Feliz uh, with like four of my best friends, and we rented this house. It was like the first original house in Los Feliz, and it was like the Sunset Boulevard. It was a plastic surgeon uh, made this house for uh, Charlotte Dupree, who was a silent film star. Oh, wow. It was in honor of his love for her. So. We rented it out with all the original furniture, and it was like crazy, you know. And I was like, "Hey, I'm just staying here. I might as well do six more episodes of of a vampire with a soul." I didn't care. Yeah. But the breakdown came out, and it was like he's like a Joe Lewis prize fighter who can take a shot and always get back up. Like that resonated more with me than anything else. When they said, "This is the character breakdown," I remember getting the role, and we had this big party in Los Feliz, and my buddies are like, "Dude, you're playing this vampire man," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's just based on this Joe Lewis character who can't that comes back and like doesn't take a punch." And it was just like this, all these like interesting metaphors going on in my head at yeah. the time, and. Uh, I was just excited to be working too, and and then I'd show up, and at first it was not really a lot of stuff. It was just me brooding in corners and kind of looking at her and telling her I loved her, and we created this like thing, and it blew up, and then there I am eight episodes later, and then it turns into a series regular. I'm like, wow, this is taking off. It's crazy, and you could f- feel the momentum of it in a way that was like, where are we going with this? Like. When it comes out, it's popular. Six episodes in, it gets more popular. And then it's this cult thing. And next thing you're doing, you're doing a cover shoot with Rolling Stone magazine with Sarah Michelle Geller, And there's big E fans in Griffith Park. And there's nine photographers around. Everyone's drinking beers and shit. It's like, it's like, what's going on here, man? <laughs> the coat's flying. You know, I, you know, I, I did a photo shoot with Annie Leibovitz, a milk campaign. I'm like, when I, when Angel got to be get his own show and I'm on harnesses and they're, they're like I'm drinking milk it's like this is a badass job man <laughs> this really is far from the Joe Lewis guy that I didn't really imagine so it was pretty intense and uh, you know you found yourself getting more and more into the uh, trying to control that aspect going to places getting into places and it's a, it can become a wrecking ball for for with all for your soul of course, <laughs> you know? yes because it uh it's so self-identifying here i am playing a character who has to save souls and harry airs your own soul is like going down these paths are like what's going on here right you know and it's fascinating um and when uh the transition happened into my own show i was just i was so like joss is like hey you're gonna get the show we'll spin it off david greenwall and i'm like I was working on this Irish accent that was horrible, and I was like in character. I had long hair, and I was playing Liam, and it was like I was more focused on that. He told me, and I was like, okay, great. I got to go do the scene now. Mm-hmm. Like my phase, my my thing is it's always moment to moment, never what's behind you, always the next step. Mm-hmm. And 
it's the way I live my life, you know, and um, it, to a fault sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, that show went on to greater success because of the success that came from from Buffy. You know, the character created itself and it just kept going and going. And uh, the people I met, the showrunners that are now showrunners or the writers that became showrunners, um, you know, David Fury, Marty Knoxon, I can name tons of them that have gone on are now successful runners of their own shows and created some great stuff is – it, that's that's the best part is really working with these writers and, and the people they've created such remarkable material and uh, and the and the relationships you've garnished with other cast members and guest stars that have come on they have fantastic careers and it was always for me it's like when Bones it was such a long running show and the guest stars had come on you'd see their careers take off and that was always exciting to see that you yeah know, it was fun well and I think there's also a testament to you know this business will put up with a lot. Yeah. But I think in order to maintain a career, I've always just assumed like, oh, David's probably a super nice guy because someone wouldn't get show after show after show after show if they weren't fun and easy to work with. Yeah. Because it at a certain point, the business is just like, ah, that guy's kind of a pain in the ass, yeah. you know? And so it – but hearing about how you just make it about the work, but then also mm-hmm. hearing that you went through a period where you had to learn about – how insatiable the ego can be yeah. because there's never there's it's an unfillable hole of course and some people it just fully consumes and then some mm-hmm. people can go oh wait a minute let me take a step back let me take and a step see back. what's happening because it's really affecting your life or it's affecting how you feel about certain things and yeah of course you go through those moments i think to to this day you always do it for me to be blind and, and not say that that would be stupid i'd be lying to myself you always are going through challenges regardless of what that is and where you are um you know simplicity is always the the most important thing to me and laughter is the most important thing mm-hmm. to me and that gets me through a lot and it's you know you work with these seals and um you know these guys that these real tier one operators that work these major missions and then you know some of them don't get make it out and some of them do or have their arms blown off or they lose their legs um and I was like, well, how did you get through that moment? It's like, well, you know, just half my arm was blown off and I'm, you know, kind of telling jokes about movie lines and getting through the, with laughter through pain. It's like, whoa, it's intense. Like, it's hard to comprehend it, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think laughter is the biggest cure for everything mm-hmm. in, in life. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that you you need a lot of that. And, then, and And of course, my dad and my mom and my family's very tight with me, so... They've always helped me guide that, especially my father. Yeah. He's like huge, huge. Uh, he represents everything to me. You know, my dad's everything and uh, um, always there, always with with no judgment, um, but there to, you know, strengthen the laugh gene. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. And, and it also makes that, a lot yeah. of sense. Too. And I'm fortunate, too. I mean, look, I, there's, you know, you... I think you are a product of your environment. I, I, I represent like that for which is like a, a kid who is um, trying to make it in the sports team out east. And he was brought out somewhere living and didn't have the facilities of the type of training. And then you go to the east coast and you're competitive and you're not as competitive because these kids are – leagues ahead of you because of their environment Mm -hmm. you know the you know when you uh you play a sport out here and it's like let's say hockey it's not as 
you know, you can't just go outside and skate in the frozen pond <laughs> as you can in like the East Coast. It's like the kids are all doing it, and they out here, you're just like you got sun and you don't do much. You yeah, know? It's, so it's different. I mean, I think environment plays a big part of it. Sure, I really do. But I hearing you talk about you know working with seals and because yeah. this is the first job. It's not like you could talk to a vampire or yeah. you know. I mean, it. Two- Who says you can't talk to a vampire? <laughs> Everyone's fascinated with it. So <laughs> we talked to a lot of vampires when preparing for this role. Uh, we had to paint the windows black. You know, we asked you had to, to kind of get into it. Yeah, and you know, it's a whole thing. Well, you know, sometimes you bite the person on the neck, and yeah, we it's never like did a, that. No. <laughs> never got into the, 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 the dialect, but yeah. But but what I yeah. but, but what's so interesting is that this is the this is a show where you're actually playing you're representing a real group yeah and so was there uh, anxiety on your part of like well i want to make sure i'm as respectful because you you're talking to these guys and you see yeah. like they have you know and then you look at you know we look at performers are like oh i guess my job's really not that you know what these people <laughs> right. do to put themselves in harm's way day in day out sacrificing like you said life and limb and and uh and they you know and and they can do it with such they're a different breed yeah exactly they are a different breed so w- was any of that um did that affect you when you first took on the role like oh i really need to make sure that we do mm-hmm. this the, the right way because it represents a real group of course we do it the right way and we're proud of that you know it's something that we don't take lightly at all and it takes a little bit of time but when we do shoot it's it's very effective and very fast but Matt, uh, one of the exec- my partners on the show, executive producer with me, with me uh, as well as Chris Chulak. Anna, we, you know, were, he was someone who was on 13 deployments, Captain Phillips, uh, Bin Laden. You know, those guys are – they're just – they're just a different breed, mm-hmm. and um, you can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the way they talk to you, um, and they're also very humbled and extremely just just really cool, great guys to hang out with, yeah. um, great storytellers, and they, they, they tell you, I think, to a point uh, what you want to hear, mm-hmm. to be honest. And so you take that information, and for me, it was all really about the mind and how they function and how they compartmentalize things and how they deal with – being away on deployment and coming home, you know, after a long run and, you know, putting someone's head back together or making a mission complete, they're arguing about Christmas tree lights and, mm-hmm. you know, why they have to, you know, something's not working in the kitchen and you get into an argument with your wife over the disposal the day after. It's like, whoa, that's a big flip. Right. And it's uh, playing this role going into the third season. Uh, you take that that on you know you you tap into the mental aspect of of what this character goes through and uh, from the beginning of season one it wasn't it's really starting to get darker and deeper now really get into his mind and how he kind of is hearing kind of those voices and the demons and his brothers that have passed away and how it's catching up to him um and when you're on that grind you want to be as authentic as you can so you do talk to them you do get the stories you but you also have to bring flavor to that right you have to as an actor you get to take that information and ivana and i work on what is underneath all that and mm-hmm. we decide like how to make these specific choices that you know these are alpha male guys they operate 150 percent. you know their engines are always going um 
They don't idle very well, but yet they're very methodical and slow when they're on the attack, and they operate as a team. So in operating as a team, if one function is off, then that's they're not going to be a team, which I love that aspect of it. So for me, it's always very sports-oriented, so I use a lot of sports metaphors. Like, mm-hmm. Hockey team takes the ice. If you're not playing the right move or you're not in your position, stay in your lane, then things are going to go crazy and it's mm-hmm. not going to work. And that's how they, these guys operate. And um, when there's a clog off and the, the mission does not succeed, I think their biggest fear is failure. They don't like to fail. Like that's that's not accepted for them. That to them is like it's a big gaping wound. Mm-hmm. When you see a physical wound, that is not as effective as a a failure, mm-hmm. an emotional wound that opens up and stays with them and it just festers. And, you know, they live with so much regardless of what they're dealing with, PTSD, you know, TBI, whatever that is. Um, it just grows and grows and grows. So to your point, yeah, we I did talk to the, the people. I did yeah. talk to Matt. I did talk to Tyler, the guys that were Delta Force guys that are on our show. Um, I got into their heads. I, you know, they're very good friends. Uh, they're brothers. We went out drinking, you know. We I've had parties at my house with them. Um, you see how they operate. You see how proud they are. Um, you know, I it's a when you bring out a bottle of whiskey and a bunch of tier one guys, it's an interesting night. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but you learn a lot, and not to say that's like, hey, well, we just got smashed and learned. It's you know, you don't really need to, but you can effectively find uh, attitudes and how they adjust, and it's amazing to watch. Um, from an actor's perspective, and you just take all that in, then you find yourself living it. Right. You find yourself immersed so much in the role, and you're now you're really into this role, and you're a part of it. And for me, uh, Jason Hayes has been like the most um, immersed character I think I have ever played on all of them because they all lead to one another in a way. Um, for you, when you say, oh, you take bits and pieces from certain characters that you play. I fell into this role and it made sense to me and it was called to me. I, I, I gave it up. I didn't want to do it. And then it came back to me. So it made sense to me. And mm-hmm. um, it just was kind of like, this needs to happen. And I fell into it and here I am and I'm third season. I'm like, wow, this is really amazing to be a part of. But because I feel it, you know, I can, I can do a scene. Um, if I'm doing a scene with Ray, I'm a Bravo 2 guy and I'm going through an issue or a problem and I've done the work and I'm working my subtext. Um, it's, it's, there's a, there's something about it that again, it's the, you want to do them right, right? Right. It's the, it's the history. It's the history of a tier one operator of, um, playing whatever that is, veterans in the room. You have an obligation to, to them, all of them, right? To, cause you're playing this character and you don't want it to be, you want to be as authentic as you can. Right. And that becomes real and you feel it. And in these scenes and it, for me, it's, it's, it's like, it's ignition. It's, you know, the spark plug goes off. I can hit a line and I'm hitting a roll and I'm on my, my roll with it and it just becomes very vulnerable. Right. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy that feeling, that rush of intensity or that, that feeling that I'm going through because it, it's showing the character struggles. It's showing the character's victories. It's showing the character's involvement in bringing the team together in leadership um, right. and how effective leadership can be and also the cost of leadership. And right. How it can change the dynamics of a team, and, right? And the other choices that the other Bravo members are making. So it's a fascinating world, and um, and I'm just enjoying it right now. And um, and also it's, it's under, understanding them as human beings too, yes. and not just these machines that go no, up. They're not. It's like, no, they're, they have depth, and they have. Yeah. They they deal 
just the compartmentalization mm-hmm. to me is so especially because we you know I feel like our, our, our culture right now is in a state where where you know everyone is conditioned to not ever feel an uncomfortable emotion at any given moment like oh you know we take <laughs> we take pills to stop that and we do yeah. this and we you know we consume to forget and we go on social media to distract mm-hmm. and we you know and so you know to see that there are still people in the world who go yes the the core of my job is living in a state of discomfort seeking that embracing it mm-hmm. Fighting through it, you know, yeah. is is so – I have so much respect for it and it's endlessly fascinating to me because it's antithetical to what I believe is happening a lot in our culture mm-hmm. now, which is just a complete – you know, mm-hmm. I want my life to just be like a big pillow. <laughs> Not only that, but I want my life to be like an Instagram ad or an Instagram right. person or whatever that, that post is and you're, right. you're only as valuable as your followers. Right. Um, sounds crazy, but it's like, you know, the star belly sneeches, you know, it's a thorax. <laughs> Good reference. It's like, come on, man. Like what's going on? You know, you got a star. I don't have a star. Well, I'll go to McMonkey McBean and I'll get a star. <laughs> and then my family gets a star. And then people pulling stars off. They don't have stars. A star off machine. It's exactly. crazy. Well, how are you communicating? Like, you know, I, because how, uh, your, your kids must be teen. How old are they? 17 and uh, ten year old. Just yeah. the weirdest time to be a young person right now, I would imagine. Because I don't of- know how they do it, man. I mean, social media, Blitzkrieg, um, the snapping. The it was hard enough to navigate just our own immediate social circles in schools, and I also went to an so all boys school. Man. But it, now it, you're yeah. in it with yeah. everyone in the fucking yeah. world. No, it's intense, and it's the, it's in your scrutinized, and you're under a microscope in so many ways, and um. You know, my family is, you know, to me very private and I keep it that way. And I don't like to kind of really divulge like what they're doing. But I will say that my son and my daughter are in very different parts of their one's 10, one's 17. One goes to school, uh, a boarding school out east. And he's feeling all that what I felt, you know, like growing up in the East Coast, the winters, how tough it is. Carrying your backpack full of books, you know, all boys school, like it's intense. It's and the grind is intense and the sports is intense. You know, it's like wow, they're really working out hard every day for whatever that is, and and not just for the physicality of it, but for the mental aspect of it to break walls and become a young man, right? And learn that through through the environment that you're in again. And there's my daughter who's home and she's an equestrian rider and she's on horses and she's jumping now on the ten. I'm like, this is crazy. But she adapts to the environment because she loves horses, and she's at home jumping dogs all the time. And there's <laughs> our house is like got sticks all over the place. <laughs> the dogs are flying. It's like it's like a magical world, man. It's absolutely crazy. But it has been consumed with again the social media. Uh, they are scrutinized. They are put under a surface. Oh, your dad does this for a living, and now you're become more than just who you are. Your right. self identity for them is. I have to break through that. I mean, me growing up, my dad was um, in television. He had a kid's show called Rock Chip 7, and he was like— Wasn't he a weather guy, too? He was a weather guy in Philadelphia. He was a very popular guy in Philly. It was Dave Roberts, uh, City Lion. I got the whole thing, and I went to school, and I was like razzed or whatever, his bully, whatever that is. Whatever you have to deal with as a kid, you got to—if you're with that—under uh, that, that umbrella of whatever comes with it, you have to find ways to navigate around it. Are you being my friend because— my dad's a weather guy in Philadelphia. Right, right, right. Right? Do you want to go down to the station and meet the news guy? Well, that's like, why I wanted or, you on the podcast, yeah, to be right, honest. Exactly. You want to go to the Phillies guy. game because, you know, like Don Tolson, who was a sports guy at that time, you meet the fanatic, like at the Sixers court. It's like crazy, man. It's 
And, you know, but one thing my dad always saw me, I was like, you, 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 he would introduce all, us all. Oh, you're Dave Roberts. Oh, yeah, this is my son, David. And I'd be like, geez, really, dad, you got to introduce me. Like, <laughs> well, you're my son. And you know, this is who they are. And you take time to talk. My dad talks to everybody. Yep. It's like a Utah goodbye. <laughs> Times five. They say goodbye, like, in the kitchen, in the hallway, out the doorway, in Bye. the driveway, on the corner of, of the driveway. No. It's, it's like, it's just say, like you got to leave. I got to leave in an hour. Then you better start planning that now because that's when you're going to get out. But but also that has, that's taught me the, the simple things, handshakes and uh, looking people in the eyes and um, communication with vulnerability and love and support and listening like being able to listen to somebody without all this noise you know like the social media noise and yeah like i'm uh, i'm just happy that my son can write cursive <laughs> can write a letter have you written write me you, a letter have you handwritten yes i have lately? i wrote a letter last week i my handwriting i tried to write something recently it's sad and it, i'm like it's... what happened to my handwriting oh fuck you gotta practice this It'd be nice to all go to handwriting school. You got the ink, and you yeah. got the pen, and the quill. Calligraphy, amazing. Yeah, it's really. Uh, and then I have uh, my nephew. He doesn't. He doesn't write cursive. I'm like, how do you not do that? Like they just. They just. They're not. It's not how they were trained. Well, this pen doesn't autocorrect itself. I don't know how to. <laughs> Yeah, but you got blue, green. Yeah, I've got the four-color pen. That's your autocorrect, right? My there. autocorrect is, yeah, <laughs> scraping out. I mean, I remember having to take, you know, I had to take typing in, like, seventh grade. I remember that. And we were on these non-electric, yes. like, Mad Men era, you know, tick, 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 tick. And if you fucked up, you had to go back and put in, like, a little white thing and redo the letter. And so there was no safety net. There was no room for a mistake. And it was incredibly stressful. Yeah. I mean, safety nets are another – it brings up for me is, like, you know, you'd go out and audition for roles and – you have an acting teacher. It'd be like, oh, you're coaching with them to go to audition for something. He's like, yeah, well, you have to have that safety net because if you fuck up, then you have this to go to. Right. Which I kind of understand, but I also was like, hey, maybe if you don't have a safety net, you'll fall and you'll find another place that'll be more interesting than what you just tried. You right. Know? That's a that's always by choice too, but. Um, there's a lot of safety nets today. Embracing mm-hmm. falling is gr- is a great thing to learn. I'm not saying I'm great at it, but it is. If because I feel like if you can embrace the fall, mm. you're relatively unstoppable in life because yep. you're constantly in a state of growth and learning. Yes. And like, okay, I'm yeah. not afraid. You know, I have a I have a friend. I had a friend in grade school who was not a particularly big guy, but he just wasn't afraid to fight because he wasn't afraid to get hit in the face. Right, and so he was actually not a big kid. But considered a tough kid only because he was not afraid to get hit and he was not afraid to throw a punch. Yeah. And I was afraid of both of those things. And so it it feels like a skill set that if you could adapt that in your life, then you really could get through pretty much anything. A lot. When you look at these people, like I remember as a kid, I always wanted a skateboard. And my mom was like, you're not getting a skateboard. You're going to crack your head. <laughs> but you can go play ice hockey. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, really? Or you can go play football. I'm like, okay. Uh, what? What? That's all right. <laughs> what is going on? I remember playing soccer as a kid, and I picked the ball up and started running, and my dad's like, you're in the wrong spot. <laughs> I put you in football. But you just move you one field you fall, over. Like, for me, you remember the East Coast and the cold and playing in the dirt. I remember playing football games, and there was no grass. It was dirt and stones, and you got your knees chopped up and your elbows cut up. But it was like you came out of like a – it's like a war. Yeah. And – like you said, you go through these falls and these 
this pain, but you get back up. Yeah. And you learn how to get back up. And that's why I'm so I'm, – I'm very happy and proud of my son to be on the East Coast, to be able to experience that – um, and getting cut up metaphorically by, um, you know, the, the East Coast mentality mm-hmm. and the weather mm-hmm. and, you know, the way they, they live out there and compared to how they live on the West Coast. so different. Yeah. A, so that's a blessing for him and a blessing for my daughter to be able to get on a thousand pound animal and take <laughs> off. And she said that to me the other day. She's like, Dad, I, I'm an athlete. I ride a thousand pound animal. I'm Seriously? like, wow. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And not like, only does she ride that, but she tells the animal what to do. I was like, Bella, do you know? first season of Angel uh, my character got on a horse it was a black stallion I have a picture of it and I rode downtown on a street no lie full gallop with a lance in my hand yeah I did that one take, and the line producer was like, get him off that fucking horse right now. I'll fucking never kill you. Again. Never again. Because I was like, Kelly, I'm fucking going to go. And I was like, yeah. And the fucking horse was like, clunk, 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 clunk. And I was charging. The coat was flying. And I was like, remember, stop. I was like, fuck, yeah, it was awesome. And Kelly was like, get the fuck off that horse. You, If you're my fucking horse, you get injured. This show's fucking over. And I'm like, okay. There's an alternate timeline where that David didn't survive that horse. You know? I, yeah, no, that there is. There probably is but i do i i find myself actively always being involved in the roles i mean bones wasn't really a stunt oriented show i was like i always said to them you're not really utilizing my capability here can you I know just i ride can a horse do this like, i can ride a horse through the lab everybody would be happy you know um but because it was a relationship and then when i got to 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 seal team it was like wow you know you got to keep your body going you have to keep your mindset with your, the, the workouts and uh, intensity of it. You know, I'm, I just turned 50, so you have to maintain your workouts and your eating habits, and you're constantly grinding that out. And you wake up and you're sore. It's like North Dallas 40. Yeah, you yeah, wake yeah. Up, you can't, it's like, what did I just get hit with? Yeah. I mean, these, putting on the gear and the guns and the helmet and trucking on long nights for three days out in location in the middle of the night, going in up and down stairs and low crawls. It's like, I don't know. I couldn't, man, I don't know how they did it, man. I don't know how those guys do it because they're 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 they have an unspoken language, but they're also in you know what's really interesting about these guys is they blend in. You know, they all beards. They all like they don't. They're not military cut guys. They kind of wear t shirts and they're hang out and and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, where'd that guy come from? He's right. like a ninja, dude. Serious fucking ninja. He's a superhero without a cape. He's not in front of a green screen. He's not wired up, and he's doing serious shit that's protecting the world, like us, the country, to be free to wake up and make scrambled eggs and walk outside without bombs. Like, these these guys are doing that. Yeah. And again, back to your points, like that's why you want to get it right. That's why you want to scratch those surfaces. And if if I can with this character um, cast some light in these shadows of their minds, where they struggle in society, where they're not accepted or not understood. Then I'm doing my job. Well, and it's also the ability to learn how to like with you know putting on all the gear. Or these or these these guys that you're talking about is just being comfortable with discomfort and pain. Yes. Like I have such a low threshold for pain. My wife, well, I do too. <laughs> my, my my wife will like you know like recently. Uh, uh, I kind of noticed she turned her head weird, and I go, what's wrong? She goes, oh, I pinched a nerve in my neck. And I go, when did you do that? And she was like, oh, like four days ago. I go, you didn't say anything. You seemed fine. And she was like, yeah, what good would it do? And I'm like, how do you do that? You know, like <laughs> the first point that that would have happened to me, I'd have been like, I'm not, I can't get out of bed. Of course. Can you bring me a thing? Of I need, I yeah. need anti-inflammatories. I need, you know. And so some people, 
just have the ability to embrace the pain and mm-hmm. not and push through anyway. And that fascinates me. I agree with you. And I think that that's one of their things is their adrenaline is so high that they can push through the pain. The pain kind of actually motivates them. I was the pilot we were shooting in the the Tyler Gray was Delta force guy was coming off of a, off a chopper rope and he was coming down and he slipped on the take and he was so fucking mad. I'm like, dude, why are you so mad? He wouldn't talk to me. He's like, he was so upset that he disappointed the whole routine mm-hmm. like he took it so to a degree because these guys again will not accept failure right they push through pain like you said and they're very good and they're fast too they're fucking multi-fast i mean those guys can fucking run mm-hmm. like just they just like gazelles just taken off man and some of them are just rhinos you know like aj buckley plays the you know the guy who's kind of like the grunter of the <laughs> team he's funny he's from texas and you know, he's uh, those guys are like rhinos, man. right? They're like coming at you and they're burling through. You got to break through a yeah, wall. Yeah, got to break through walls, and they're just they got the big guns. You know, like they're they're the knuckle draggers. They right. carry the ammo. Right. You know, I'm leading a team. I'm compartmentalizing. I'm talking to, you know, the the, the havoc base where we're at, how I'm going to do that. Then I'm talking to them and telling them what to do, and we're taking charge. So it's kind of like um. Mousetrap, the game. It's yes. a perfect example. Perfect. Man. It's like you don't want to get Never the get that fucking game to work. Never. Not one time. Every time you had it set up perfectly, if you breathe wrong, the thing would fucking fall. Yeah, yo, or, or it would start to <laughs> fall. Like, the cage would fall and then it yeah. would stop. You're like, why did, fuck it, why did it stop? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it was very frustrating. Those Milton Burrow games were, they were very frustrating, right? Back in your dad's day, entertainment yes. was a much different. Uh, it was a much different dynamic, but it was also like, it was like the big tracks when that thing came out. I remember wanting this thing for Christmas. It was this robot thing. It was big tracks. And you'd program the back of it, and it was. Do you remember the big tracks? Was it like a little? I can't believe you don't remember. The is it big was tracks. it like a little, I, I like a little, him. like a little tanky robot? Yes, it was a yeah. tank yeah, robot. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it yeah, came with the, the the thing on the back that mm-hmm. would dump the apple. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> the first one, the dad's like reading the newspaper. You can like, dump one thing yeah. at a time. Yeah, and then and it, the commercial was like the, the kids like beep 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 beep, and then this thing takes off like the pod and this in Steve Austin episode <laughs> when he was fighting the pod dude, that was indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> and it would go down the hallway, take a right, and the cat would look up at this thing, and they'd fire at the cat. Lasers! And then it would go by the dad, and it would drop the apple to the dad, and we would turn home. Yes. I was like, what the fuck is that toy? <laughs> I was like, I want that. And my dad's like, it's, we can't afford it. I'm like, Dad, Mom, it's all I wanted, man. It was big tracks. And I remember getting it, and all I did was go up and down the hallway, because we didn't have this cool house to do yeah. anything. Yeah. I wouldn't go downstairs. Nope. And eventually, I programmed it to go down the stairs, and it broke, and it flipped. And <laughs> well, I, I follow the, I follow an Instagram account. I want to make sure and I reference it correctly, but it's it's called um, Saturday Morning Cartoons. Oh, that's cool. And it it basically is uh, yeah Saturday underscore Morning Cartoons. And so it Best. shows a lot of old clips of cartoons and then the commercials. Yeah. And so you see That's all these great. You see all these the chuck old, wagon. Yeah, you see all these old commercials yeah. Okay. Yeah. and from when you were a kid or watching cartoons or whatever. And all the commercials for the toys, I'm like, that commercial is basically the one thing that toy does. And when you get it home, you realize, fuck, this doesn't do anything else. It really doesn't, but they sold it so <laughs> So great. well, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. But I mean, for me, it was like Creature Double Feature. Yep. Okay. It was uh, Hilarious House of Frankenstein, which was Vincent Price did the opening to that. And Billy Van played all the creatures, man. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he was, to me, like, he was awesome, man. He played the Wolfman, he played the Dracula dude, he played Frankenstein. But the opening to that was Vincent Price's glowing head coming at you, man. It was, do you remember that show? No, I don't remember that one. Hilarious House of Frankenstein. One of the best Saturday morning shows. Billy Van. Okay. You will love this. I'm going to find this on the internet. The best. I don't know how I missed this. This is a classic. Well, I'm Buffalo, Toronto, Canada. Gotcha. Really kind of very popular up there. Um, was it a regional show? Maybe yes, it was a regional yeah. show. That's why. Great that's why show. Um, and then it was like on to, you know, the Creature Double Feature and Godzilla. Yep. You yep. know, and whatever he was fighting. Yep. You know, all those kind of things. So. Yeah. It, it was it, there. I feel like. The nostalgia thing, because we talked earlier about how everything gets remade, it's just because, you know, the the world is so overwhelming mm-hmm. and all information is, we just can't process all of it. No. And there's something, it's it's taking us back to that simpler time. Mm. I don't know if you ever watched South Park, but there was a whole arc on a season of uh, these things called member berries. And, the, and there were these berries that people would eat and they would just <laughs> cool. go, hey, Chewbacca, and then we're like, oh, and then they would just zone out because it was just all you know wow. nostalgia, they and that's kind of what... mushrooms, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. But it is Ithaca, New York, man. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of my Ithaca college days. Yeah, because I mean, not the mushrooms, but kind of. No, of course, yeah, maybe a little bit. But of course, it's it's you know, the, of course, we had problems when we were kids and we had stuff. But we've removed all that, and it just seems like oh, that simpler time when everything was just. You know, a guy with fucking cotton balls on his face saying he was a wolf man with yeah. bad effects. Like Cotton balls on his face. <laughs> well, those regional monster people, you yes. know, like they, they really made it. Did your dad ever do regional, a regional monster? I know he did a regional kids show. Rocket Chip 7, but never did like the monster thing. But he had like a robot. He had puppets. Like it oh. was pretty badass, man. That's yeah. fantastic. <clears throat> it was, it was kind of cool to grow up like total Rumpelstiltskin in the garage, you know, with my two older sisters waiting for my dad to come home because my mom was upset with us so <laughs> i don't know what was going on so we waited for dad to come home and so we had all of his stuff in the garage and you know can't touch this stuff it's you know of course i'd go up and be like whoa what's all this you know and it was like walking into i think that's why i'm so fascinated by this place is you see all these things and these trinkets and these fabulous little pieces and it's like that's the world that was kind of like growing up as a kid with my dad he was a traveling kind of circus act in his own way you yeah. know, with a uh, had a robot in the back seat of his station wagon and i would go and do appearances with him up in toronto and travel from buffalo to toronto and the guy would put on the robot suit that looked like a big dishwasher and the big shoes and you know and then mr P- he put the puppet on mr beeper would come out and i'm like dude this is so amazing you know? <laughs> i was like watch all this is you know and my father had to pack it back up and he'd get paid thirty dollars Oh my gosh! And you're like all that work for that, or oh just my enough gosh. money to, so I can buy the kids Christmas presents, right? And in Buffalo and cold New York and the snow and the blizzard of '76 and '77. I mean, just a remarkable families. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about how it was great just to be around all that, and I think the closeness of the families and going to the house because they had the pool and they had the construction company, so they were like rich man. They had <laughs> the pool and they had like the exercise machine downstairs that you'd put on it was like this bike thing oh yeah yeah silver. with the handles yeah it was yeah, like yeah. what is that man yeah. it's like as a kid you're like holy shit let's press that on off. yeah that thing goes crazy but i think that's all growing up in that around that area again environment for me and i i it, i it's who i am today in a lot of ways it's the the, the types of roles and i like to play it's like again 
I'm attracted to the hero within the Joseph Campbell type of roles, and I believe Jason Hayes is a hero in his own right because he's doing a journey, and that journey is going to take him to a lot of dark places that people are going to see and be like, you know what? Thank you for that. Thank you because it shines a light that people don't understand. You know. Well, what are you just as we're wrapping this up? What are you? Uh, what are you excited about? Is there anything in particular in general that mm-hmm. you know? You that that gives you hope for the world that makes you happy is kind of your happy place. I I I feel it's though you know happiness isn't a smile, um, a kind gesture, um, staying away from the the social media blitz, writing a letter, um, going out and seeing the ocean, going to a lake. Lake lakes to me are just great. People, conversations at old diners, um, uh, a piece of apple pie always. My mama said, if you're having a bad day, have a banana split. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm happy about, <laughs> seeing my kids progress in a way that is, um, you know, adversity for them first and foremost and challenging themselves. Um, that to me is exciting, um, but it's it's very daunting times right now. So let's see how that all uh, plays in today's world. Well, you're doing a great job, and I'm. It was a real pleasure to meet you. And you. you know, again, I've been watching you for years, and as a diehard Buffy fan moving forward, you know, and but then also understanding how the business works, like that that David Boreanaz is doing something right. <laughs> Must be doing something right. I'm trying because that shit's not an accident. You know, anyone can get one good. Anyone can yeah. luck into a job, yeah. but to maintain success over you know decades. Is that's a separate skill set mm. to keep your head on straight, to navigate all the shit and mm. stay focused. And I think just distilling it down to what you said, you just make it about the work. All and if you make work, it man. about the work and you're nice to people yeah. and you appreciate what you have, there isn't much more to really do beyond that. And all the other stuff yeah. is, you know. It'd be nice one day just to sit by the lake and read a book. <laughs> I look forward to that. Man. And not having a call time. <laughs> you know, you say that, and I say that to my wife all the time, like, what if we just got a ranch and just had animals? It would be, goes, it'd be loving for like a week. That's then, what she said. And says. I'd she be like, like, I'm driving myself crazy. God, what am I going to do? Why don't I don't have hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Sweetheart, can you just shoot daddy like diving out of the barn? Just use my phone. Dad just wants to dive out of the... I'm going to light the barn on fire. I'm going to dive out of it. Dad, Listen, please. Take Arthur, it easy. Arthur Fonzarelli couldn't build the birdhouses. <laughs> There's no way David Boreanaz was building them either. Very parallel career, by the way, because Fonzie yeah. was supposed to just have True. an episode. Yeah. And then he ended up becoming yeah. kind of the focal point of that show. So And he's a great guy. And a great Arthur, guy, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler's great. Yeah, but thank you so much for being here, man. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Nice to see it. you. And thank you for tolerating my... Uh, Sunnydale Razorbacks shirt. That's good, man. All I right. Like <laughs> the end. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, Anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. That was the ID10T podcast number 1031 with David Boreanaz. It's time for Idiot Rap. That's what I'm calling it this week, y'all. 
that's what it is right now. Who knows what it'll be? Good branding. Change a name every week. Um, so there was a lot of talk in this episode, which I really enjoyed about like pushing through discomfort. And uh, discomfort is already not a fun-sounding term. No one wants to be uncomfortable, though sometimes it is necessary if you want to get some shit done. Now, um, that doesn't necessarily have to mean like physical discomfort. Uh, it's even emotional discomfort. I feel like I feel like we might avoid emotional discomfort more because we do encounter that more in our day-to-day lives. Just things we don't feel like doing, especially if you've been working all day and when you, there's stuff that you need to clear out, whether it's your garage. So in my case, it was my office, all right? My office sort of became a repository for just a lot of stuff that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't want to make a decision about something in a moment, so it just got stacked in my office. Or if I left it somewhere else in the house, uh, it would just magically appear in my office. <clears throat> Lydia! Although, she had every right to do that because it was just my thing that was cluttering up some other part of the house. She's like, I'll put it in your office, and then you'll have to sort it sooner or later. And um, eventually, she did what an amazing partner uh does which is she applied some pressure she was like look you've got to clean out your office it is a there are pillars of things everywhere and uh you it looks hoardy you you're you look you're almost looking like a hoarder in your office uh and i go okay okay i just didn't know what to do with that stuff it's very uncomfortable to think about it it means i have to make decisions to get rid of things and, you know, the problem with Marie Kondoing my life is that a lot of things I pick up bring me joy. So it is difficult to know what to get rid of. So, uh, again, thankfully, because Lydia is the most amazing and perfect partner ever, she said, I'm going to help you. We're just going to get in there and do it. Now, I probably put this off for a good year, like a calendar year at least. And then finally, one day, without really thinking about it, we just started tackling it. And so a couple ways that I did that was I knew it was not going to be fun. And I told myself that I didn't have to do it all at once. Again, I did have the help of Lydia, which was tremendously, tremendously helpful. And um, we just made stacks of things. Okay, all these things are going to the podcast room. Uh, this is going here. This is all trash. This is a donate pile. And, you know, like after... And we would work on it for like a half hour. Okay, great. Let's sort all the stuff that we put in the hallway. We put all that where that was going to go. Then we go back in. And, uh, you know, after two or three or four sessions, it was finally done. And it feels great. I can, this is me walking around my office. There was no room to do that before. I was stepping over shit. So it wasn't until I embraced the fact that it was going to be uncomfortable. There was discomfort. And it's just that emotional thing. It's the same kind of emotional discomfort you feel when you can't figure out what you want to watch on Netflix or, or, or Apple TV or whatever because you look at stuff and you go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that. I don't know if I want to take a risk of, of watching that and then I don't like it and then it's not comfortable. See, because we're just so programmed to feel like we have to 100% like everything that we consume all the time, uh, all the way through. And so in that case, we just go, you know, let's watch something for 10 minutes. If we're not into it, we can bounce. Uh, So I guess where I'm going with all this is that there are probably a lot of things in your life that you want to achieve, things that you need to tidy up, things that you need to sort out, and you're just avoiding it because you know it's not going to feel fun. 
And as long as you can accept that and you can tell yourself, you know, I don't have to do it all at once, and you force yourself to push through it anyway, any little exercises you can do to embrace that kind of emotional discomfort will make you stronger. Because then once you do it, you just sort of realize like, oh yeah, I'll be, it'll be uncomfortable for like five minutes and then, then I'll just be in it, you know? And also forgiving yourself like, yeah, I don't have to do this all at once. I don't have to, you know, I'll do it. And then if it becomes so unbearable, then I will give myself a break. But at least if I just start it, you know, it's so funny. It's what I tell people all the time about like comedy or writing or any creative project. Yeah, you just got to start. So how do you get through stuff that's uncomfortable? You just got to start it. You just got to run the discomfort marathon. <laughs> but then once you do it, it's done. And then you can, you can put that little feather in your cap. You can not put that little endorphin rush, rush notch under your belt and, uh, and feel good about yourself. Because, you know, when you accomplish things that you don't feel like doing, you do it it does send that little message to you also for your own self-esteem. Like, hey, I was worth it. I was worth it enough to do this thing that, uh, you know, helped create some space in my life or just, you know, allowed me to, uh, you know, embrace some responsibility like cleaning my office. Uh, and so that's all. That's all I would do. Break it down into digestible little chunks if you need to so you don't have to do it all at once. And just, you know, each day you know, like one or two little things that kind of embrace discomfort. And then after that, you know, because once you can conquer that, then, you know, a lot of things, I'd say most things in life, you'd be able to push through, you know, most things, most uncomfortable things in life, most uncomfortable things in life are not of the tragedy variety. Most of them are just annoying. <laughs> so if you could just check off the little annoying discomforts and uh, not allow yourself to uh, just want to feel super, uh, you know, at ease and, and just comfort all the time, then, uh, then you, will, you will be able to accomplish great things. That is a skill set that you will apply in many other areas of your life. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Um, and uh, I, hope, I hope you're able to get through something that's slightly uncomfortable for you today and get stronger. Make a stronger you for tomorrow, all right? I'll see you in your ears next week and uh, have a great weekend if it's the weekend or a great day ah well i really did not stick this landing Uh, then now this is uncomfortable but i'm getting through it (laughs) all right goodbye id 10 t scanning complete enjoy your burrito Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.